Oh, the rooster you gave me. I named him Steve. And the hen that I went and bought in the market, I named her Gina. And they have been very busy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 16 of What in the World. My name is Jake Lee, and I am the host of this podcast. And What in the World is a podcast all about what God is doing both here and around the globe. We want to help you to learn more about what's going on and also step into being part of what God is doing, part of God's plan. And I'm really excited that in this episode, we get to wrap up the conversation uh, we've been having with Steve and Gina Wintermantle um, and talking more about what they do in South Sudan. And so, like I said, I'm really excited to dive into that. And a little preface before we dive into this one, Um, We're going to kick right off with Steve talking about one of the three essential things needed uh, by people in South Sudan. And three of the staples they need are salt, oil, and soap, which are things that obviously for me and for probably many listening to this podcast are things we take for granted. Um, Salt obviously isn't a very hard thing to get a hold of, neither is oil or soap. But in South Sudan, this is something that a lot of times people spend many, many hours and much of their time and energy trying to obtain. So to kick off this episode, Steve is going to start talking about how people can start producing one of these on their own. And they're going to talk about some of the practical ways that they use their skill sets. Uh, Steve, the farming background, and Gina being a veterinarian, and how they are using those um, to work with the people in South Sudan. So without any further ado, let's dive into the last part of this interview. They grow all kinds of peanuts, which I'm taking a couple of little hand grinders. These are called oil expellers. I'm taking them with me when we return. They look like a meat grinder. You mount them on your table or on a piece of wood somewhere, and then you put peanuts in the top, and out one side comes the oil, out the other side comes the peanut meal, and the peanut meal can probably be used for cooking. We'll have to explore and see. If not, it can at least be used to feed some chickens or something, and then the oil will be available for to use for them to cook, and no longer will they then have to go to the market to purchase oil. They'll be able to provide their oil for themselves. Hopefully, for whoever has these oil expellers, already in Tarit is the only place we know of, but you can go there and there's uh, some folks in the market who will grind your peanuts to make peanut butter. Why not take some of your peanuts in to go and get oil made? And so, guys, you can charge a little bit, have people bring their peanuts, get oil made, and then you can send them home with oil and you'll keep a few pounds to pay for the processing that you've done to help provide them for their oil. So we're just going to continue to explore opportunities for things like that. You know, another one is bananas. Bananas can grow great in our area, but very few people do it. I don't know why. I, you know, I think a lot of this comes back to in the past, you would plant a banana plant, a banana tree, and before you could ever realize the fruit from that banana, which it takes about 15 months or so, you'd be forced to leave. And so why plant oh, the banana? There was no reason to stay. And so now we just need to get them back into the habit and the way of thinking, guys, you, it's okay. Now you can plant bananas. Now you can plant guava. Now you can plant papaya. Papaya are highly nutritious and children can benefit from them greatly. As a, for instance, uh, there's a village on the uh, just, oh, 15 minutes drive from Tarit. And it's notorious for all kinds of bloodshed and killing and violence over the years. In fact, they started out at one time as one village called Lodo. But now, because there have been so many inter-family and inter-village disputes and struggles, there are now four different Lodos. Because, and they don't talk to each other sometimes hardly. But thankfully, things are getting a little better now. 
I had been out to Lodo and I had seen that there were no uh, papaya anywhere. And, you know, I have to confess when I first went to South Sudan, I wasn't a big fan of papaya, but then I learned the secret. The secret is the papaya is that you put a little lime juice on it and limes grow in abundance somewhere. I don't know. There's always limes in our market and you put a little lime juice in papaya and it's delicious. And so I said, Charles, there's no papaya in, in Lodo. He goes, oh, Steve, there are many papaya in Lodo. I said, Charles, I was, I've been there and I didn't see them. So you show me where they're at. And so I took him then to Lodo. We were there when he was hanging out with some of his old buddies. Uh, I said, Charles, where, where are the papaya? And he got up and he scanned the horizon in every direction. He goes, you are right. They are gone. Oh, wow. And so Charles, now maybe uh, you can help bring papaya back to Lodo because uh, they are so beneficial for the everyone, but especially for the children and some of the vitamins that they contain. That's crazy to think about, but what you're saying makes a lot of sense when you're thinking about a country that has experienced such hardship and like having to constantly relocate that, yeah, why would you yeah. plant or worry about maintaining something that can't be harvested in a short period of time? Because there's a good chance you'll, you'll never get it. You know, and that is one of the great things about being in a tropical climate like South Sudan is that Bananas and papaya take 12 to 15 months to realize a harvest of, of amazing fruit. Uh, you know, we think about fruit here in our temperate climates of North America, and it takes well, berries. They might come along quickly, but for an apple or our other kind of tree, it takes a few years. But in South Sudan, you can realize fruit pretty quickly if you shepherd it or take care of it well. Well, I mean, and that's obviously a huge benefit. And like by training people how to do that, obviously that's helping that, what do you want to call it, society. These people um, have um, a better life, helping realize the kingdom in a slightly different way. And this is your work that obviously allows you to tangibly contribute to the community as well. And Gina, on your side, you do a lot more work with animals. Could you just elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, so as we went in, uh, I wasn't really sure what I was going to be focusing on. Um, the the Latuco people uh, have uh, some cattle and they also keep some goats and then everybody pretty much has uh, chickens. So uh, the cattle there in town where we live, uh, they kind of put them all together in one small corral. There's not a whole lot of cattle there and they certainly aren't really focused on taking great care of them. Uh, so I really haven't focused much on that. And our teammate, Troy Sammons, is also with Christian Veterinary Mission, and he is also a veterinarian. And he has kind of focused his his work life on cattle. So sure. he has been working with uh, the men and, and doing some things there with the cattle, either in to read or outside and around. So I... I've pretty much been focusing more on the things that I thought the women would actually be overseeing. And that is like chickens and ducks are pretty much what would fall under them. So I've just been gathering what they're doing, what they're not doing, uh, the things they like and don't like. For example, I went in really kind of wanting to focus on helping them to get their chickens laying eggs and producing better so that they'd be able to feed their they feed these eggs to their kids who are often malnutritioned and on the on the bottom of the list when it comes to getting protein in the family. So that was kind of my thought when I went in. Again, I, we tried not to have a whole, a whole lot of big plans. And as I have spent the last two years uh, just talking to people and trying to see what they're doing, um, it's 
really becoming obvious that eating eggs is has not been uh, something that they do very much at all. For them, if they are going to have chickens, then they really only want more chicken. Uh, so they're not oh. going to have a few chickens that lay some eggs for them to eat. They want to try to keep every chicken egg that they have to grow into another chicken. So that's kind of what I've been discovering. And I'm not giving up yet fully on uh, helping them to understand the benefits of eggs and how they could really improve the nutrition for their family. But uh, I have had to rethink that and realize that I'm going to have to do more education on the front part of that uh, versus just going in and trying to help them see how to get their chickens laying eggs uh, more more frequently. That's just a, a little bit of an example. One of my favorite stories that's happened this last couple of years has just been working with some of the South Sudanese ladies. One of the ladies that I met, uh, her name is Vicky. Vicky had some chickens and was taking good care of them, seemed to be somebody who really had some knowledge and interest uh, in doing that. And I met her and we talked chickens one time. And then uh, a couple months later, I ran into her and she was uh, very sad. She told me uh, that something had gotten into her chickens and, and killed pretty much all but one. So she was uh, very uh, sad about that. She had mm -hmm. at least probably 20 chickens at that time. So I have, I will often bring in some eggs uh, from from chickens in Kenya that have a little better production than the local birds in South Sudan. So I bring the eggs in and hatch them out and raise them up and then hand out one or two here or there uh, to people who are really trying to make an effort. And so I told Vicki, I said, well, I don't have a lot I can give you, but I said, I have one rooster who's ready to go. If you want to take him, you can take him. So she said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll take him. She took that rooster and then she told me she ended up going to the market and just, just getting another uh, little hen uh, from the market there. And she took them back home and I didn't see her for several months again. I, when I ran into her, I said, so Vicki, how, how are the chickens coming along? And she said, oh, they're doing very good. They're doing very good. And I said, oh, well, I'm, I'm glad you've had success. I said, I've lost a few here and there and I'm kind of dwindling down. So I'm glad to hear that your, your flock has taken off. And she said, oh, your chickens have decreased. Oh, okay. Well, you know, Gina and Steve have been very busy and they want me to give you a rooster and a hen. And I uh -oh. thought, well, she's a little confused. Why is she saying Gina and Steven? And then I said, Vicki, what are you talking about? And she said, Oh, the rooster you gave me. I named him Steve. And the hen that I went and bought in the market, I named her Gina. And they have been very busy. And now I have been blessed. So I'm going to bless you. You have a legacy so. now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A poultry legacy. We don't have children in South Sudan named after us, but we have chickens named after us. So That's perfect. Uh, so, yeah. I think for moving forward with chickens, uh, one of the things that Dr. Troy and I have started working on right before I left was getting uh, together some of people like Vicki who actually have had an interest and have been doing something. Uh, we've gathered them together a time or two and uh, had them start talking about the problems they're having uh, with their chickens and kind of uh, brainstorming together how they can problem solve, um, how can they how they can work together to buy medicines so that they can treat their chickens and be able to afford to do that and connecting them. Uh, so that's kind of, as I go back, that's one of the things I'm thinking about with the chickens is maybe just starting some of these little community groups 
And having the church uh, members that are involved in taking care of poultry be the ones who kind of lead that. And it potentially could be a way of outreach for them into their neighborhoods as they could incorporate, uh, you know, a prayer or Bible study uh, when they go to teach and do some of these things. So that's one of the focuses. And then I would say the other focus would just be along with the kingdom builders uh, that Steve talked about earlier is just trying to help those that are preparing to be sent out to be able to produce protein on their own too, to improve their chicken production. Uh, So as they go out into these villages, they will be able to either provide food for themselves or maybe even learn how to get a higher egg production so they could sell some in the village that might also help them uh, be supported as a source of income. Why in the world? In this part of the podcast, we explore the motivations of people who are serving Christ. And in this specific story, we're going to go to Brazil. Why would anyone stay in Brazil when COVID has been so bad and now there is a new terrible strain that has popped up? Why be grateful in an area where there are literally no hospital beds? When people are dying in the waiting rooms just waiting to get in. Today, I wanted to share a message I received from Phil and Valerie Polson about what is happening right now in Brazil and why they still feel called to be there. As we've been working through this, I mean, like you know, we had COVID really bad in March, April. Then this new wave, this mutant version of it that is um, reinfecting people. Um, a while back, blood tests in Manaus showed that probably 75% of the people in Manaus had caught COVID, the antibodies to COVID. Um, and the tests that were done here in the city of Manaus. So we had, we'd reached pretty much herd immunity. And it's, it's every bad, as much as bad or worse the second time around. Um, and so that says either the, the immunity doesn't last or this immunity doesn't work the new version of COVID. Um, so that's, that's, our, that's our world. We managed to export the first case to Minnesota. It's getting close to, close to you, sorry for sharing. But um, anyway, but in the middle of all this, the thing that has really, begin to really work on our hearts. And this is that, you know, God has not changed his call that he's given to us as believers. He's called us to make disciples of all nations, regardless where we are. COVID has not not short-circuited his call for our lives. Um, Obviously, we have to look at some things differently, but what we've been called to do continues to be what we've been called to do. What What Christ commanded us to do continues to be his command. And we've been working hard at how do we continue to be effective and how do we get back out to where we need to be. And we've been able to, to get many of our people back into where we were. Um, it's been some of the churches have been doing well. Some obviously have been sensed the lack of, of missionaries, places that um, need to be taught. And we're, we're, we're getting people back out there in some ways creatively. Some of the things I think Valerie, or maybe it was me that wrote a letter that Valerie sent out with um, one village, a guy died in a hunting accident and that helped open up a door to get our people back out there. And another one just two weeks ago, a week ago on Sunday, they celebrated their 63rd anniversary, 65th anniversary, I think 63rd, since, since those first contact was made years ago when hundreds and hundreds of, of indigenous people from this tribe in the church, all believers celebrating and just what, what God has done 
through his word, through his people who reach him and they as a church now. And it's just been in the midst of all the, the darkness and hurt and whatnot, to see God continue to move ahead and seeing our missionaries willing to move forward, to, to get back out there, to continue to work in creative ways. And so I, I would, I guess our prayer would be yes, for God's comfort through this time. But I would say more importantly that we would continue to be burdened with a sense of urgency for this world that we live in, that we don't know what the future holds, but we know what God has called us to do in whatever that future is, and that we would be effectively going about doing in creative ways what he's called us to do and not be controlled by COVID, but know how to use this crisis in a way to gain leverage to really make those disciples for Christ in the areas where he's called us to work. So anyway, um, Valerie and I both said many times, um, the world has been rocked by this. Your world has, just like ours has been. But I'm, we're both so thankful that we're here during this time. This is where God wants us to be. This is where he's called us to be. And it's a privilege to be able to be here. And, and, and in a small world that we live in, that we can influence people for good. We can, we can make disciples and, and, and encourage people and, and, um, and move people forward in, that, in, in the small way, in the small world that God has placed us in. What difference can we make here in this world where we can effect change? And we're, we're very glad that God has allowed us to be here and be a part of what's happening here and that we get to be a part of what we see him doing. And that's a, that's a very, very big encouragement to us and to see how God is working um, in the midst of these difficult crises. This is Ben. Why in the world? I find it really cool how these two sides of your work are definitely very connected and have overlap. Both are what you're there for, this obviously this spiritual side, but also this side of, you know, actually helping put food on people's table, be it um, through farming practices, um, through animals. And like Jeannie, you said, you don't work with the cattle, but you're working with the chickens and the ducks and trying to figure out how do we help them uh, kind of broaden their view on a lot of these things and also help it produce, I guess, more efficiently is the right word. Um, and then they can use that skill, like you said, like as an actual very tangible and helpful skill to go out into other communities and also provide a better life for themselves in the process as well. So I think it's cool how both these sides of your work are kind of mingling and working with each other. So Jake, you've uh, really summarized things very well. When Gene and I began to fit all those pieces together regarding our, our heart for for disciple making, for church planting, for relational disciple making, mm -hmm. and then my passion for farming and agriculture and genus for veterinary medicine. As we begin to see that this is, you know, God's preparing us for our whole lives for this kind of an opportunity, we'd be foolish to say no. So mm -hmm. that's why we felt very strongly that God was calling us to come and see what we could do uh, for this season of our lives in this remote little corner of the world called South Sudan. <laughs> Steve, thank you also for wrapping that up very well for me. I appreciate that. The last thing I wanted to ask you guys, like obviously I'm very excited for what's going on right now. I'm excited for you guys to go back and to see what God's going to do uh, moving forward. But 
is there anything you'd like to leave uh, someone who listens to this podcast like as a takeaway or a challenge? Uh, this is a question that's open to either of you. I think that um, in the culture that so many of us uh, are a part of, we've grown up in it, we've been um, living in it now, and sometimes it's hard to stand back from it and to see what is it that God has really called me to because we can get so inundated with the messages of our North American culture and to think it's all about something akin to the American dream. Go find a good job, find a nice house, prepare to be comfortable. You know, I don't want to take away from how God is calling each one of us. We each have to discern that for ourselves. And yes, some of us are sent and some of us are senders, and that's always going to be the case. And yet, I think I, I heard someone talk recently on who owns your heart? Is it you or is it Jesus? And I think just a great that's a great question for each of us to stop and pause and ask ourselves from time to time, who's the shepherd of my heart? Who's the owner of my heart? And if Jesus is the owner of my heart, then I think as we look at his word, we'll see that so often he is calling us away from the comforts. You know, our Lord who said he did not have a pillow to lay his head on. So maybe we just need to evaluate from time to time. Am I pursuing the heart that uh, I want to give to Jesus each and every morning that uh, I make sure he knows that it's his? Or am I following after the allures and temptations sometimes of, of the comforts of this world? And I would say, too, that, you know, we just need to look around at the things that we have and ask ourselves, the things that I have, who owns them? You know, uh, currently we're staying here in Minnesota and so many people have cabins and lake homes and fishing boats and ice houses and all these things. And so I would just challenge all of us, you know, who owns those things? Because if you own them, then you can use them however you want. But if they really belong to Jesus, if God truly is the giver of every good and perfect gift, then how can you use those to further his kingdom right there in um Milwaukee and suburban Milwaukee and use those things for his glory there. You know, another thing, it's easy to make an idol of our families, but maybe God wants you to branch beyond just your immediate family and say, how can you use the things he's given to you, even your backyard, a fire pit that you might have back there? And how can you use that to help build relationships, to help further the kingdom and how to help bring glory to the name of our Lord above? Uh, I think Steve summed up kind of a lot of some of the things that we we talk about. Um, I think just being willing to let God stretch you. Um, certainly, I would say, you know, going to the mission field, all these things that we've gone through has, of course, it's grown our faith because we had to take those steps of faith uh, to do it. And I feel like that's something that has been wonderful. It's not always been easy. It's been very hard at times. But when we see God continue to answer prayers, it just increases our faith day by day. So being willing to step out of our comfort zones and trust God, even in things that are unknown. Even as Steve said, you know, we we feel like this last two years has gone great and our, our kids have done really quite well, but the jury is still out, uh, you know, as far as how some people might look at it. I mean, we, we don't know the future and yet we, we wouldn't make our choices any different at this point, just going day by day and trusting him. And that's going to answer all those questions that we have about those things. So 
Hey, Jake, I'd like to add one more thing. And things did go well in so many ways for us in our first two years while we were serving in South Sudan. And yet we unexpectedly came back due to COVID here in July. And one way God used this season of time back in the States was to help us just to focus on our marriage. And I was surprised when we came back here uh, to learn of the number of Christian couples who we had some degree of connection or relationship to who are really struggling in their marriage relationships. And we know that COVID has been uh, a great stressor for all of us. No, there are no exceptions. And so I would encourage anyone who might be listening to this podcast that if you are currently um, being challenged and your marriage is just struggling, Gene uh, and I, we went to a marriage counselor. And we uh, said, hey, we need some enrichment here. We need someone to kind of pour into us because there really was no one to do that in South Sudan. So we took advantage of the opportunity, which God through COVID provided for us to come back here and found a great counselor who was willing to sit down and just help us to begin to evaluate our relationship and how to bring it to a new higher plane. And thankfully, over the last few months, I am grateful uh, to say that that has happened. I would encourage anyone else out there that don't don't wait for the, the breakup to happen. Take some proactive steps and get some help, whether they're at Elmbrook or through uh, a counselor or through friends, whomever it might be, but uh, be proactive and allow God to bring healing, mending, and restoration to that marriage. One day, look back on COVID and say, God, thank you that uh, you used COVID to help strengthen our relationship, our marriage, and hopefully even our family. So um, I would encourage people to take that step also. Yeah, Steve, thanks for sharing that one too. And thank you, Gina. When you talk about the marriage thing, uh, one thing, I haven't shared this on the podcast yet, but when Laura and I were in uh, China our last time, it was a year of actually extreme isolation where we didn't realize exactly what we were getting into when we got into that city that basically all of the foreigners, we were the only Christians. Um, and the rest were actually, you could argue, many of them were hostile toward Christianity. And our Chinese students, because we were teachers, uh, none of them had good enough English to really get to know. And we didn't have a church except for one that was multiple taxi rides and a train ride away. That year was, for me, it feels a lot like COVID does in the sense of isolation and being in mm-hmm. our own heads so much and being with each other all the time. And what that was in retrospect, and the reason I'm bringing it up is because that still is probably the best formative year of our marriage relationship. Um, And it was an incredibly painful and challenging one at times, but it's something that like Steve, you were just saying, if you're approaching it with intentionality and reaching out for help in ways that you can, like, especially if you're in America, like going to a marriage counselor, like it can be a very powerful time that can really help strengthen your marriage. And that for us to this day is still probably the best year for our marriage, even though I would never want to go back to that year. Yeah, I understand. It was an awful year, a lonely year. But <laughs> the other thing, Steve and Gina, um, I really appreciate just your attitude of when you're seeking to obey God, you don't know what's going to happen with your kids. Like you said, the jury's still out. Um, but it seems like so far, like we, you didn't have a promise that Hazel would want to stay. You didn't have a promise that your boys would um, find ways to get decent education and all of these things. But you still took that step of faith. You recognized that your life is not your own, your possessions in America, uh, your comfortable life is not your own. And 
if God calls us to give that up, we need to give that up. I really love hearing that because I think that's something in America we need to be challenged over and over um, because we have so many things materially that can become idols without meaning to. Like homes are good things, families are good things, cars are good things, but all can become idols. And I've seen that in my own life as well. And so I just really appreciate you guys highlighting that and kind of emphasizing that because I think that's something we all need to hear. So true. That's all I got for now. Uh, Thank you guys. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to have another chance to sit down and talk with you. All right, same here, Jake. Also for the record, you went way over the 20 minutes. (laughs) 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 I told you it wouldn't be a problem. So as we just wrapped up this interview, I just wanted to really land on some of the things that Steve and Gina ended with. One was this idea of who owns your heart. And I think this is a question that a lot of times we need to ask ourselves more seriously. Um, And this can be people who feel a, a call, they have to go to the mission field. And also those who say, I will never go to the mission field or I will never do this because who actually owns your life? And I've heard stories of people who on one side feel the call that they need to go and realize that this idea of adventure and of having a purpose in the fact of they need to do X for God, that's actually what's owning their heart, not Jesus. Jesus isn't the core of why they're doing it and they need to follow where God leads them even if that means they have to stay. But for many of us, I feel it's most likely the opposite where we won't even really consider going because we can't because our lives are too busy, our jobs are too important. It would uh, disrupt our families too much. And obviously everyone has to discern that and work through this on their own. But to ask the question, who owns my heart is something we should all do and take very seriously. Because if you're truly trying to be obedient and truly letting God be first in your heart, then if he says go, you will go. And we've got to be careful not to let other idols, which for many of us, uh, family is an easy one that can be an idol that's accepted by not just society, but by the church. The church a lot of times is like, well, of course, you need to stay for your family. And in certain circumstances, of course, I think we too quickly excuse that um, rather than diving deeper and saying, what's really holding you back? Are you really staying behind just because of your family or are you staying behind because God is not first in your life? And I think we need to take that very seriously. And then the last thing that Steve shared, which I also wanted to reiterate, is this idea of if you're struggling um, in your marriage um, in this season, especially during COVID, um, reach out to uh, maybe someone who can help with some counseling, a friend to the church. And this also goes obviously for those who are not in a married relationship. It could be... um, a relationship with some friends, or you could be single and really struggling. This is a time where life is weird and we need to be humble enough to reach out for help. With that all being said, I am very grateful for the chance that I was able to talk to Steve and Gina, and I hope you enjoyed this interview, and I am excited to get some new content out after this as well. We've got a lot of things planned, some things uh, for Japan, some things talking about transform lives right here, Um, in Elmbrook, uh, local partners, and other stories from around the globe. So you're not going to want to miss what we have coming up next. So thank you for listening. And once again, this has been What in the World.